This is Reverse Your Thinking, where we take plenty of topics and turn them on their head and get you thinking differently. That intro music was the great Angie Wells, who, from what I understand, killed it last night in Palm Springs at the Jazz Room. Uh, if any of you uh, had the pleasure of seeing her last night, please call in and uh, let us know what you thought at 951 922 3532 KMET 1490 AM 98.1 FM. I hope uh, many of you are on your way home uh, from the week and uh, are going to listen to us as you uh, as you drive. Hopefully you're driving and not just sitting in traffic. But either way, we're here to help you reverse your thinking. And the the topic that I wanted to talk about first uh, this afternoon was um, hard, unsexy work. Yeah, that's right. Hard, unsexy work. And I know a lot of you are going to say, oh, my God, I would never do hard, unsexy work. But, you know, a lot of you that work for other people, that that actually is what you do. You do the same thing day in and day out. And I remember when I was in my 30s that it dawned on me that the definition of success was figuring out something that worked and then doing it over and over and over again. And that was a little depressing to me at the time, but as I've gotten older, I've learned to begin to appreciate that more. The only trick, of course, is you need to, it's helpful if you find something that works for you, something that works for you. Now, a lot of people say that they'd like to stop working for other people and stop doing hard on sexy work and work for themselves. That's right. Work for yourself. Isn't that the American dream to get yourself a little business and, and get working? But here's the irony of that, folks. Most of you that have small businesses, maybe on the side or maybe as a primary uh, occupation, um, the reason you have that business is because you're really, really good at doing something. That's right. You, you're really good at doing something. Maybe you're an amazing hairdresser or... Um, Maybe you, you know how to style people or it could be anything. What, what that means is that means that you're an amazing technician. You're really good at being a technician. But being good at being a technician does not necessarily mean that you're good at running a business. Because running a business requires you to do the books and requires you to take care of payroll and requires you to worry about taxes and Maybe if you have a little office, now you got to figure out how you're going to pay the rent, you know, or, or, or how you're going to organize your paperwork, how you're going to set yourself up with deductions so you don't have to pay taxes on, on all of that money. Those are skill sets that you might not have. That's the hard, unsexy work part of going into that occupation so that you can do the part of it that you love. And if you don't bring in enough money so you can hire someone else to do it, now you've got to learn how to do it. And a big part of that also has to do nowadays with 
um, online marketing, search engine optimization. How many of you know how to optimize your search engine? I'm willing to bet not that many. And that might be the hard, unsexy work part of what you have to do. Now, I know many of us say, well, I'm not gonna do that. I'm just gonna do the, the easy, sexy part of it. Well, I hate to be the one to disappoint you, but you can't succeed just doing the easy, sexy part of the job if you wanna be self-employed. You gotta do the whole job, or you gotta figure out a way to pay someone to do the parts of the job that you don't like doing. And that's one of the reasons why so many small business people fail in this country. It's not that they, it's not that they plan to fail, but they fail to plan how they're gonna handle the hard, unsexy work part. And that's why you gotta reverse your thinking about going into business for yourself. And you gotta figure out what are the parts of the job that you don't wanna do? And how are you gonna get around it? That is, is the crux of figuring out how to be your own boss. You know, Woody Allen, you guys remember Woody Allen? He's still around, produced, directed a whole bunch of movies. Well, he said 80% of success is just showing up. Let me repeat that again. Woody Allen said, and I quote, 80% of success is just showing up. What did he mean by that? What does that mean that you just gotta like show up on the, on the line and, and the union's gonna put you to work? Well, when we come back from our commercial, I'm gonna explain to you what Woody Allen meant about 80% of success is just showing up. I'm Mark Gertz, your host, with engineer Sean and associate producer Rhonda, and we're here on this beautiful, and it is beautiful, Friday afternoon. My goodness, we've had a lot of rain. I forgot what the sun looked like. Um, and what we're talking about is, is showing up. We're, so, we're talking about what, what you do in order to deal with the hard, unsexy work that you need to do if you want to go work for yourself. And as I said before the break, Woody Allen said that 80% of success is just showing up. But, but what does that mean? Does that mean that you just have to be there, you know, 80% of the time? No. What, what he meant about by that was that you need to start. Let me repeat that. You need to start. How many of us know people that love to talk about what they're going to start doing? but they don't start it, they just talk about wanting to start it. Well, you can't start something if you just talk about it. Nothing exists in a vacuum. You need to reverse your thinking about how you're gonna start doing the things that you want to do to get the things that you say you want to have. Now. I know many people say, well, I can't do it because, I can't do it because I don't have enough money, or I can't do it because I don't have enough time, or I can't do it because somebody else won't let me. Well, guess what, folks? Those are externals. 
starting comes from inside. You just got to show up, like Woody Allen said. I mean, for example, let's suppose one of you wants to be a writer. You know, in Los Angeles, in California in general, because we're surrounded by the entertainment business, people have a belief that they can make it. They want to believe they can make it. Well, let's suppose you want to be a writer. Let's suppose you want to be a screenwriter. Well, like Woody Allen said, you got to show up at your laptop. Yeah, that's right. You got to show up at the laptop and you got to sit there and you got to get your ideas out of your head and onto a piece of paper. Nothing exists in a vacuum. Ideas are a dime a dozen. If you think it, it doesn't exist. If you say it, it still doesn't exist. But if you write it down, that idea takes on a life of its own. You know, one of the things that I try to discipline myself to do is to sit at my laptop every morning for about 20 minutes. That's right, every morning for about 20 minutes. I sit there with a cup of coffee in my laptop. And all I do is write down all the ideas sort of sitting in the back of my head. Some of them make sense. Some of them don't make sense. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, until I get them on a piece of paper, they're swirling around inside my head, creating chaos and distracting me from being able to get on with the things that I want to try to accomplish in that day. And that's why you need to reverse your thinking about showing up. Whatever it is that you want to do, you need to do it or you need to write it. You need to make a commitment to yourself. You can't just say, I want. What do you think? The universe is just going to do that for you? Or God? You need to make the effort. You need to make the time. You need to reverse your thinking about what is owed to you and take responsibility for showing up. This is what Woody Allen means when he says 80% of success is showing up. It's just making the time and the effort to be in a position to get what you want out of life. That's right. You need to create an opportunity to be in a position to get what you want out of life. You can't procrastinate. You can't blame it on other people. You need to create the time. And for most of us, where that starts is right at your computer. Write down what it is that you want to accomplish. Write down what it is that you want to do. Look at it. Look at that. All of a sudden, instead of swirling around in your head, that idea is on a piece of paper. It lives. It exists. And you can interact with it now. Now you can start breaking it down into smaller and smaller pieces and figuring out what it is that you need to accomplish that. Are you tired of working for other people? 
Are you ready to work for yourself? Well, you need to show up and start writing what that looks like so that you can figure out what you need to do to accomplish the things you want to have. I hope you're going to come back after our next break because we've got an amazing guest who can help you figure some of those things out. Her name is Andy Wren, and she is an accredited financial counselor, and I'm going to tell you more about her when we get back. But it's this type of help that is available to you in many forms, but you can't get the help until you figure out what you want. And you can't figure out what you want until you show up. Show up back here in two minutes. Mark Gertz, reverse your thinking. And you're back at Reverse Your Thinking. And my name is Mark Gertz. Uh, and this is KMET. Our call-in number, 951-922-3532. For those of you that are driving, please don't call us unless you pull over first, all right? 951-922-3532. Our guest today is Andy Wren. Uh, Andy is an accredited financial counselor, and uh, she has a passion for helping people make sound financial decisions for two decades. She is also president of the Association for Financial Counseling, Planning, Education. Um, She's on the board of directors and she recently retired from working in leadership in military contracts related to personal finance. She continues developing educational programs for certified financial planners uh, and others and AFC continuing education. And she is also a military financial subject matter expert. So all of you that live uh, uh, on the military bases uh, surrounding us or nearby uh, are definitely want to going to listen to what uh, Andy has to tell us today. Welcome, Andy Wren. Hey, thank you. I'm so glad to be here today with you, Mark. Yeah, me too. I'm really glad you could make it. Um, I was wondering, um, wonder if you could could share with our audience what the Association for Financial Counseling, Planning, Education is and what they do. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's an association that the public is uh, intimately familiar with. Right. That is, um, its primary focus is certifying financial professionals. Um, they started about 40 years ago and they realized that there was a need for financial counseling. And so 30 years ago, actually um, in 2022 was the anniversary of the accredited financial counselor. Mm-hmm. And that's their, their main certification for the last you know 30 years. There have been some others that they've had over the years, uh, but really that's the number one um, product that they do. So they're certifi- the certifying body, mm-hmm. um, they're connecting people Uh, So you can go to like find an AFC.org, that kind of thing to find an accredited financial counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're supporting diverse professionals. So we have a lot of people from lots of different fields that come in and 
and get the accredited financial counseling certification. Plus they have other educational programs too that are mm -hmm. available for people. Um, money management essentials. Um, there's some on uh, diversity and inclusion and accessibility and, you know, lots of different areas that people can explore and they're all related to finance. Gotcha. My, uh, my recollection is that there's also an, uh, a certification in financial coaching, correct? Yeah. So they um, did partner with an organization um, that did financial coaching and uh, that was very valuable too, because a lot of people who do financial counseling are also coaching. They really mm -hmm. go well hand in hand. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of people are, are familiar with um, uh, certified financial planners, right? Can, can you explain to us the difference between an accredited financial counselor or coach and a certified financial planner? Sure. So um, one of the big differences is an AFC is going to help educate people so that they can learn as much as possible about their own specific personal finance. So we're working with groups and individuals, but ideally we'll work one-on-one -on -one with clients to help them learn as much as they can. And it could be in all areas, you know, credit, debt, money management, investing, real estate, you know, all kinds of areas of personal finance. Our, um, Certified financial planners, uh, typically they're looking at investing your money and, and really they do the work to figure out what to invest and how to invest it. Accredited financial counselors, I see them as the piece before and the piece to help out throughout, right? They are helping them understand their values and aligning their values with how they spend their money and how they save and, and helping them be able to invest more money so that CFP can do their job and invest more money for somebody's future. I see. Would it, would it be safe to say that AFCs uh, work with people's emotional relationship to their money? With, oh, with definitely. definitely. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Like, there's a lot to do with beliefs and behaviors and values. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So anybody out there, if you'd like to talk to Andy about, about your uh, emotional relationship to your money, give us a call on 951 922 3532. Um, Andy, um, I know there's a, there's a, I'll call it a myth that, that only people in crisis work with, um, with AFCs. Um, is that true? Well, I think that um, oftentimes people do think that that's, you know, the, the reason people come to financial counseling and a lot of people that I've mentored um, when we do like practice sessions and things, that's what they're thinking about is that person who is in crisis, right? They, they had something really negative happen or they're having a hard time paying their bills and things like that. Mm -hmm. And that isn't always the case. Um, it really helps people at all income levels. Mm -hmm. understand why they spend and why they save the way they do. Um, and it's a crucial step in the financial pro counseling process and the financial coaching process to mm -hmm. be able to help people align their values, their beliefs, um, so that they can work with their money. 
Um, and that can be in, you know, like I said, in all areas, not just right. crisis mode. I've worked with um, high income folks that mm -hmm. just had a really hard time figuring out why they did some of the behaviors that they did that got them into trouble financially and were living paycheck to paycheck. Uh -huh. um, and um, it's really helpful. And, and sometimes getting people on the same page. That's uh -huh. one of the things I love doing is helping couples get on the same page about their money because everybody comes from a different background. Mm -hmm. and they bring all that to the table when they get married and they may not have talked about it. A lot of people don't talk about money before they get married. They don't mm -hmm. talk about it in their families when they're growing up. And mm -hmm. it really helps um, if they can find somebody like an accredited financial counselor to kind of put those pieces together and help them learn how to communicate about their money in a couple relationship. Can, can you, it, with, with this couple that you started talking about, this, the, this high, higher income couple, um, without divulging any, any personal information about them, could, could you share with us um, like what conclusions they, they came to so our audience can yeah, they're big, they were both attorneys and they were just really struggling with student loan debt. That was the biggest thing. It wasn't really a crisis, but, you know, it was really frustrating looking at the balance. And, you know, they came up with a plan. You know, we, we only had a short period of time to work together with this couple because I was at an event where we did um, financial coaching and counseling at the event. Mm -hmm. And once they came up with a plan to um, look at what their spending was, figure out what the excess was that they could put towards those debts so they could really make a dent in their student loan debt, mm -hmm. uh, they felt a lot happier uh, with that conversation with each other, too. Mm -hmm. So um, it is, it, it it can be stressful and, and people, you know, really don't have an easy time talking about those things. They feel mm -hmm. embarrassed sometimes when they should be making a lot of money. Um, they may be making a lot of money like this couple was, and they just didn't know what to do with it and how to best allocate their funds. How much, how much was this couple bringing in? They were each making at least 200,000 a year and they okay. had, at least a hundred thousand in student loan debt each. Okay, so so here we have a couple with four hundred thousand dollars coming in, and they can't make ends meet, right? Yeah. And and more importantly, they can't figure out why they can't make ends meet, right? Right. And it, so we put them on a plan to track their spending, you know, uh -huh. so they knew exactly what they were spending. Okay. Well, you see, you see, and that and that's and that's one of the things that that our listeners need to know that it's not just for the family that's living on fifty thousand. You know, mm -hmm. and and is struggling to, to to figure out how to do that, or it's not just the retired couple that's living on two thousand a month of social security. You know, the the type of skills that you can access through an accredited financial counselor can be used for people from top to bottom. Correct. Right. Okay. Um, Everybody has values and beliefs around money. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting when I heard when listening to you talking, it sounded very much like what um, uh, what family law attorneys do sometimes with uh, prenuptial agreements mm. with with couples that they 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 sit down and um, help them have a conversation about money before they get married. You yeah, know, 
Does it? Does it? Uh, have you been involved in anything like that? With uh, I have. I have not. Um, no. I do have some connections that that's one of their niche things is working on the prenups. Right. So right. I think it's a great thing. I do have a mediation uh, for the state certification mm -hmm. for family financial mediation, right. but that's usually when people are on the other end of marriage. So. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> the divorce, separating. Well, well, you know, I'm I'm wondering. Yeah, a, a a number of people have, have do work with with CFPs, with certified financial planners, or they work with wealth managers to one degree or another. Um, it's not uncommon. They have money with you know Schwab or one of these companies. Um, if if they're already doing that, if they're already working with somebody like that, why would um, why would they work with an accredited financial counselor after the fact? Well, I often see um, AFCs as helping clients to have a clear picture of where they are right now financially mm -hmm. and add to this the financial behaviors that keep them from reaching their goals. So maybe they've never set a financial goal. AFCs are there to help them to set and achieve goals that are smart. And that mm -hmm. stands for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and a time is set for that. So, you know, I might help somebody come up with a goal that they want to be able to put a certain amount of money, you know, a thousand dollars every quarter towards mm -hmm. investments. Right. And so, you know, we, it's something that an AFC does have in their toolbox is helping them become debt-free. That's a big goal that a lot of people have. Mm -hmm. And once people are debt-free, then they have a lot more money that they can put towards their investments. So I see us as somebody who can help the CFP get mm -hmm. people on the same page with their finances and have more money to invest. I see. So it sounds to me like many times you're right at the vanguard of wealth creation. Yeah, a lot of times. Uh, sometimes people will start, you know, at that lower level mm -hmm. and, and over a time period, you know, one, it might take several years to pay off debts, right? But once they kind of get that ball rolling, then they're starting to think about investments right. and wealth building, and that really helps a lot. Okay. Well, well, listen, if I was a CFP, right, if I, or, or a financial advisor, um, will collaborating with an accredited financial counselor take away from my business? Absolutely not. I think it's a benefit um, for CFPs and AFCs to work together. I know mm -hmm. um, several firms have started um, employing AFCs or at least um, referring people to AFCs so they can work on that. Mm -hmm. um, it helps build strong bonds and, and people see the value in both when the professionals, not even just CFPs, but like working with other professionals like attorneys and um, business owners, life coaches, mental health professionals, mm -hmm. and CPAs, like all of those people really could be good partners for accredited uh -huh. financial counselors because that money piece with the values, the beliefs mm -hmm. really is entwined in all the financial decisions you make that are in, in mental health as well, you know, because sure. it's very stressful. Finances are stressful. And that's, you know, one of the top three reasons people get divorced. And, and a lot of people have, you know, financial stress. It's, it's a pretty common, I don't know what the statistics are, but I've seen 
you know, statistics in the past about the level of stress um, being related to finances? I I would have to believe it. I would have to believe uh, unofficially that it had to be at least 50% or more is, is, is money related, especially when you consider the fact of how much wealth is now concentrated in the top 10% of the population. That that means that you've got, um, you know, 90% of the population uh, living on 50% of the of the uh, the wealth in this country, uh, it, it can create some really really stressful situations for folks. Yeah, you know, um, can an AFC um, help with investments or estate planning or retirement things of that nature? Yeah, in general, um, an accredited financial counselor works with individuals and couples and sometimes groups. I love groups um, to educate. So they educate people in personal finance mm -hmm. and not just about the basic money management, credit, debt repayment, student loans, and those kind of things, but we can educate people on the different types of investments. We can educate clients on helping them learn the pros and cons related to their values and their personal financial situation to uh -huh. determine which one of those investment types with their level of risk, comfort level, mm -hmm. um, kind of align. And then we can help them narrow down which of those investment types really aligns with their own personal situation. Uh -huh. And then they know where to go from there. Um, also retirement planning, you know, talking to people about how, what do they want their retirement to look like? working mm -hmm. with couples to say, you know, I've heard many couples say, well, I just want to do this when I retire. And the other one's completely opposite. You know, one wants to travel. The other one just wants to hang out with the grandkids and, you know, watch them play sports. And there's a big financial difference there. And so helping, okay. helping couples get um, connected there, mm -hmm. talking about how they want to retire and what kind of retirement investment plans might work for them or they feel comfortable with is really good. And mm -hmm. then estate planning, that is very values driven, right? Who do you want to give your money to? Mm -hmm. Is it charities? Do you want to make your kids wealthy? Do you, you know, do you want to leave a legacy for mm -hmm. your grandkids and, and future generations? And it talking sounds, about that is all something that an AFC can do. It sounds, it sounds very much that like uh, an AFC sort of, um, Skirts the, the line between a a, a a financial planner and a psychologist almost. Well, it is accredited financial counselor, so okay. There yeah. You go. Okay, we'll be back after this commercial. reverse your thinking and what we're reversing our thinking about today is getting help to help us make decisions about money and finance and marriage issues and creating wealth and what it is that we want to do with our lives. And our guest today is um, Andy Wren, who is president of the Association for Financial Counseling, Planning, Education. Um, Andy, it also says in your bio that you're a, a military financial subject matter expert. Yeah. Right. I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know that there were financial military subject matter experts. 
Can you, can you share with us? Because many, many of our listeners, you know, come from military families or currently in the military. Can you expound on that a little bit and give us some examples of, of uh, what that means in terms of the subject matter and, and maybe some couples that you've worked with? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think um, there are a lot of financial stresses in military, and sometimes people think military have it made. They get housing allowances, they get to move around the country or the globe, and that they're able to live on one salary. Well, for the past decade, military spouses have experienced unemployment at the rate of 22%, which is huge, making it one of the highest unemployed demographics in the United States. And typically, military move very often. So most commonly, every three to four years, military move. But my spouse, when he was on active duty, moved 22 times in 27 years. And wow. there are things, you know, some of the costs get reimbursed or paid for. But there are many things that hurt your pocketbook and hurt the pocketbook of military um, members. Now, my husband retired after 27 or at 27 years. Um, he passed away shortly after. So I'm a military widow. I've been working with military families since I married him. Um, while people were deployed, I would help them, uh, the spouse that was staying home, I would help them pay off their debt. I would help them, um, you know, get their money organized and, and figure out how to save money. So that whole time that their spouse was gone, they were paying off the debt and then they had a chunk of money sitting in their account when their spouse got home. And that was fantastic. And that's one of the things that led me to this field is that I found out that there was the accredited financial counselor after I'd been doing this. I'd been writing articles um, for the base about how to save money, you know, how to, you know, what nights are kids eat free and what kind of restaurants can you go to or how do you pay down your debt? How do you pay cash for a house? Mm -hmm. And all kinds of things like that. Um, the other thing is I've, I've worked with a lot of military that are single and some of the people that I've worked with, you know, I talked to them about, you know, getting the investment while they're living in the dorms and they have the opportunity, you know, before they have a significant other, mm -hmm. before they have any bills, you know, maybe they don't even have a car yet. You know, when I was working in the DC area, I'd have people who didn't have a car because they didn't need it. They worked on base, they could use public transit. And, and I would talk to them about compound interest and how, if they just put, you know, this much away mm -hmm. every year for six years, they could be a millionaire when it was time to retire. And so before they had that girlfriend or boyfriend or, you mm -hmm. know, a significant other, they could really just sock it away and get that done and then really start saving towards paying cash for some of those goals, like buying a car, mm -hmm. things like that, and using their tuition assistance. There's you know, a lot uh, of things that you sorry, can sorry. get yeah. done in the military um, with the benefits that are available to them. So mm -hmm. I've been working on the government contract since 2008, mm -hmm. and I develop classes for the people who teach the service members. So I'm there to help. You know, I've been there for the years mm -hmm. to help them understand all the benefits and how they can work with service members and their families to 
use their benefits to their advantage and do as much as they can. You know, on one of our previous shows, I was talking about um, Starbucks. And, I, and, and Starbucks statistics say that people spend 350 every time they walk into a Starbucks, which, which translates to $105 a month. Yeah, and I was telling our audience, yeah, it's a lot. And I was telling our audience that if you stop going to Starbucks and you just save that $105 a month with compound interest in 20 years, it's almost $50,000. And that's yeah, I had, when my husband was a commander, um, they would do dorm checks. And we had somebody that was um, a senior enlisted person that was talking about this young man who had this huge TV and a video game system. And, and I said, and they were making it like a negative thing. Oh, he spent all this money on this stuff. And I said, but what, you know, I, I know this kid and I know that he saves his money and he's been saving up to pay cash for that stuff. Well, he has more in savings than you probably do. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and, you know, that's the only, that is, so I don't, I don't want people to take away the one thing that gives them joy, mm -hmm. right? So if that Starbucks is one thing that gives you joy, find something else to give up, mm -hmm. right? So I don't want to make anything specifically negative, but that's why we work with people on their own personal finance to find something that fits with them. Because if you get rid of all the joy, people are not going to stick to a plan. Uh, you're absolutely right. Can you give us an example of, of a client you did that with? Oh, yeah. So I have a couple that I worked with and they were fighting about money all the time. And um, one of them just wanted to travel all the time and she would spend all her money on, on trips and things like that. And the husband never wanted to go anywhere and he couldn't even afford to buy new tires. He made less money than she did. And um, they just fought and fought for the first couple sessions, we uh, got together and we did some tools to talk about their values and their experiences and things like that. And they came up with a plan. And one of the things that you can do is, you know, set up a cash flow system where each person gets a set amount of money in the budget that it's their discretionary spending. And mm -hmm. when you can set up discretionary spending so that you can't complain about my fishing pole that I buy or, tires from my truck or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he couldn't complain about her going on a trip if she's used that discretionary money to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And once they got that system set up, they were super happy. And, and by the end of our three months working together or six months working together, mm -hmm. they were holding hands and they were, I mean, you could just feel the joy in the room That's because great. they had a plan and, That's great. and it worked for them. Yeah. Did, um, how long, how long do you normally work with a, a couple? What's the, what's the average? Well, with military people, I would say typically one to two times. Um, some, some clients, that's all they need is some, you know, brief education that gets the ball rolling. Right. Um, but I like to work with people three to six months typically, and then mm -hmm. let them come back and do a check-in a year later to see where things are or if they feel like they've gotten off track then. And how, and how many times a month do you meet with them? Typically once, I might do an email check-in. Right. Um, because when I'm doing tracking spending, I do, I have them do two weeks and then we do either a check-in via email mm -hmm. or phone. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the month, then we have that full spending tracker so that we can do a budget that makes sense. And how, and how can our, how can our audience get in touch with you? 
I am on the findanafc.org. So okay. it's this F-I-N-D, findanafc, A-N-A-F-C.org. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Andy Wren, and we'll be back. you at home or you in your car, we appreciate you tuning in to Reverse Your Thinking on AMET Radio, 1490 AM. If you can't get in the AM reception, we're at 98.1 FM. You have no excuse not to talk to us. If you really want to talk to me, you can call me at 951-922-3532. Call in lines are open right now. So, uh, for those of you that were privileged enough to hear our, our previous guest, um, the main thing that, that struck me about her conversation about um, financial counseling was that the primary thing she focuses on is communication. If, if you're not in sync with your spouse, then you can't come to resolution. You can't come to a conclusion about what it is that you want to do. Even more importantly, if you're not in sync with yourself, if you're making emotional decisions about the way you spend your money and, and how you go about doing it, you can't, you can't change your behavior and accomplish some of the goals that are gonna require you to do that. You know, in the course of being a mortgage broker and in the course of specializing in reverse mortgages, I've seen many, many people that were in both uh, reactive and proactive situations um, that came to me to talk about using a reverse mortgage to either solve their problem or to avoid getting into a problem later on. Um, it was not uncommon that a great many times what people were concerned about was not just getting access to hundreds of thousands of dollars of equity in their homes, but how they were gonna handle all of a sudden having access to that money. And a lot of what I did for them as an accredited financial counselor was help them to figure out how not to go crazy and let that money burn a hole in their pocket. In other words, how to make intelligent decisions about when to use that money from a reverse mortgage and when to hold back and say, no, you know, I could get it, but I really don't need it. I only want it. And you know what, folks? Understanding the difference between getting what you need and getting what you want is one of the keys to having money left over to build up wealth. I came across an article recently written by uh, Mark Toker. And, and in this, he interviews Zach Zygmunt, uh, who's a uh, a vice president and a, and a wealth planner. And, um, and the title of the article was How to Plan for Uncertainty. And I felt that was really timely in this day and age because, you know, gosh knows that with all of the, uh, all of the what's happened since the beginning of 2020 with COVID and, um, and other things that have happened internationally and both nationally in our, in our country, um, we, we live in an era when there's probably more uncertainty than um, since the Cuban Missile Crisis back in the 1960s. 
people are really concerned about what's going to happen both domestically and internationally as well. Um, and in this article, he, he talks about focusing on insurance coverage and healthcare costs, and, and that makes sense. And that's kind of a given. And he talks about gathering all of your information together, which also, you know, is kind of a logical thing to do. You want to have all your information in one place. You want your spouse to be able to find everything. God forbid something happens to you, you know. But at the end of the article, um, he took it in a different direction. And that's what really struck me. And he talked about involve your family in your conversation. How many of us fail to involve our families in the conversation? Either because we don't want to share our decisions with them, or we're afraid they're going to object to our decisions, or we're just not open enough to being able to accept input from them. Let me read you some of what he wrote here. A key part of the planning process involves communicating the plan to others who may be affected by it. By providing more financial clarity early on, everybody involved knows both your wishes and their responsibilities. This candor can pave the way for less family uncertainty and discord in the future. Not everyone may be comfortable with sharing every detail of their estate plan, but communicating information can be done effectively without disclosing exactly how much you plan to leave to your children and other beneficiaries. I can't tell you how many men in particular that I've spoken to that haven't taken an opportunity to involve their wives or their children in their planning. I remember sitting down with a high-powered uh, entertainment attorney a few years ago, and I asked him, what do you want to happen to the house after you and your wife are gone? And he said, oh, I've already spoken to my sons, and they've both told me they don't want the house. They're just going to sell it. That was such a breath of fresh air, such a ray of sunshine. How many of you have out there have sat down with your kids and asked them that question. What do you want to happen to the house after you're gone? On that note, I'm Mark Gertz, and you've been listening to Reverse Your Thinking, where we turn things on their head and get you to look at them from a new perspective. We hope to see you again next week, 3 o'clock KMET, 1490 AM, 98.1 FM, and we are out of here. Where the living is good